0: So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament, or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're gonna go through the Bible and we're gonna talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good folks. I'm, I'm incredibly glad to be back. I am back and Christmas is over. I had a marvelous Christmas break. As you saw, I went on hiatus. It was much needed. I, I, I spent some good time with my family, uh, stayed with my parents for a few weeks, but I'm back at it, hitting the grind, and we are back in Genesis. I'm very excited about this particular lesson. Um, because we're talking about some stuff that excites me. You know, business is one of those languages I speak. Love the, I love the word of God. And I always love it when the word of God intersects with other things that I love. And and I'm, I'm a big business fanatic. I've been, I've been, I kind of grew up with business pumping through my veins. I started my first business at about five. And I remember we called it meats and treats. Uh, my Sunday school teacher made me some um, <laughs> made me some business cards. Um, and then I had a business like when I was six where I was, I made calendars. They were not very high quality calendars. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, in sixth grade I decided I was, well, in fifth grade, I decided I was gonna sell t-shirts. And so I went and bought the little the, the t-shirt making kit at Walmart, thinking it was gonna be high quality. Was grossly disappointed in the quality of the shirt. Um, and explored buying screen printing machines at 10. Um, and then at 11, I started another business that actually did yield me a little bit of success. But I'm needless to say, business has been one of those things that I have um, always, always been kinged on. And so in Genesis 23, we kind of get some business lessons from the word, if we read it. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of people are like, why is Genesis 23 even in the Bible? Like, Why would God spend a whole chapter of the Bible talking about Abraham and his process of buying a a grave for Sarah? Like, what, what, what good does it do? Like, why is this necessary? And I think he gives us a template of how we should handle our affairs. Um, I've, I've been in business for a good bit. I've, I've watched my father do business. I've started several business ventures of my own. I've got, I've got friends and family members and, and uh, plenty of people who are in the business world. Uh, got a business degree currently working on another one. Um, I've got a, I've got a degree that I'm working on. That's a combination of business and construction. Um, business is one of those things that I, that I like. And a lot of times I think as Christians, we assume that our Christianity is enough in business. And often Christians are the worst business people. Uh, and it's not because God has not given us a template. I believe that Genesis 23 is a wonderful template for how you are to handle your affairs. And so if you've asked the question, why is Genesis 23 in the Bible, or if you've never read Genesis 23, I think this is a great opportunity for some real life application of the word. I'm going to give you as much history as I as I normally do, but we're going to dive into some application and I'm really excited about it because I do believe that the Bible is a tool. Um I learned several years ago in Bible study at church that the Bible stands for basic instruction before leaving earth. Um and I believe that that includes basic instruction while on earth and so I think it's it's important that we we conduct ourselves accordingly and that we represent the kingdom well in all of our endeavors. See, sometimes we're really good about being there for people and showing the love of Christ, some of us. But I think in our business dealings, I think that's an opportunity for us to show the love of Christ and to show how God actually wants us to do things, Um, because I've seen it firsthand. Christians. When dealing with Christian, a lot of people get turned off. They hear you say Christian business and they're like, oh, they're going to try to dupe me. Oh, it's not going to be a good, a good experience. They're not, oh, they're not going to be organized, organized. They're not going to be professional. And I don't believe that's the truth. Or the the inverse. They say the church is just a business. It's not a spiritual organization. And I think right here we see how we're supposed to conduct our business. So I'm really excited about Genesis 23. Um, And we're just going to dive in I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it in its entirety And then we're going to come back and and dissect it So starting at verse 1 And I've got the New Living Translation and the King James in front of me So when I read it the first time I read the New Living Translation And I'm going to go in between both versions So we're talking about the birth of, of Sarah Starting in verse one, we say when Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Cariath Arabah, now called Hebron in the land of Canaan. There, Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. Now, the Hittites replied to Abraham, listen, my lord, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one will refuse to help you in this way. Then Abraham bowed low before the Hittites and said, since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind and ask Ephron, son of Zohar, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah. Down at the end of his field, I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses. So I will have a permanent burial place for my family. Ephraim was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened, speaking publicly before all the Hittite leaders of the town. No, my Lord, he said, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave here in the presence of my people. I will give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephraim as everyone listened. No, listen to me. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, my lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? So go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephraim's price and paid the amount he had suggested, 400 pieces of silver, weighed according to the market standard, and the Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. So Abraham brought the plot of land belonging to Ephraim at Machpelah uh, near Mamre. Uh, This included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees. It was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, there in Canaan, in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, also called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittites to Abraham for use as a permanent burial place. Okay. So I'm really excited about it. I think I've said that. And I'm over here, like (laughs) stretched out and really excited about it. So we're going to dive right in here. And I think that the the scripture gives us all types of goodies. And it, it starts right there in verse one, verse one, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So the first thing that I think we can go ahead and pull is that this is the only place in the whole Bible that the Lord leaves us information on how old the woman was when she died. Um, now I know that you know a lot of us have issues when they start making differences between man and woman. But it, this is an important point. This is the only time that he he tells us that how old the woman was when she died. Now he goes through and he tells us about Enoch that Enoch got taken and how old Noah was when Noah died, and how old uh, <laughs> all these people in the genealogy was, how old Abraham was, how old Methuselah was, how old. But these were men. And so for the only time in all of scripture We're told how old Sarah was And she was 127 years old Now we know this is post-flood And we know that lives are shorter um, And people are not living as long as they were Because you know Methuselah was living like 900 and something years And so did Noah Um, But we see right here that we, we we're given. So we know that it's peculiar because it's the only time that is listed in scripture. Now, the only thing that I really can deduce and from my study time is that it, it parallels with, I will satisfy you with good life, with long life. Um, and I think that's important, y'all walking, you know, sometimes, and, and I've, I've actually been dealing with this in my own life, how, when we start talking about holiness and righteousness, everybody talks about what you give up. Oh uh, yeah, you can't do that. You can't go there. You can't be with those people. You can't drink that. You can't eat that. You can't you can't go there. You can't wear that. You can't do this. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. But very few times do people really when they're talking about being holy and when they're talking about being righteous and being in the will of God, do people honestly tell you what you gain. You know, they don't you know, sometimes you'll get in a teaching and they'll talk about the fruits of the spirit, but then they still talk about what you got to give up. Uh the, you know, but people talk about when well, you gotta love because that's that's the fruit of the spirit, but they don't talk about the love that you gain. You know, they talk about the joy that you get gain, but they talk about the you know, you gotta sow some tears when you reap joy. Um, and so a lot of times people talk about the things that we have to endure for the cause of Christ and for the sake of Christ, but people rarely talk about what we gain, especially when it comes to discipling people. Um, and so I think here we see a uh, a blessing in the righteousness in following what God says. Now, does that mean Sarah was perfect? Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. And I know that as we've gone through this study, we see that Sarah was not perfect. You know, first she recommends uh that <laughs> that Abraham go have a child with this, this 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 woman. Um and then he puts her out uh regardless of the fact that that's the mother of his first child. Um and so we we see that she's not a perfect woman, but that didn't negate the fact that she was a righteous woman. Okay. And we see that throughout scripture. We know that David was a man after God's own heart and we'll get to him in in several books. Uh, but when we get to David, we know that he's a man after God's own heart, but he was a murderer and an adulterer. You know, we know that Noah was righteous. It says that he walked with God, uh, but he was a drunk. Uh, we know (laughs) that, um, he had several relationships with several people, and all of all of them were flawed. He he's, he showed a favor to Solomon, but Solomon was a womanizer, uh, by no short length of the word. And so, when we start looking at these people, righteousness is not perfection. Righteousness means that your heart is turned toward God. Okay, and I'm sure that we'll deal with this as we move through the Bible, uh, because. I struggle. I've struggled for years understanding uh, what really God wanted from us, and 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 and, and I've come to this. And and, and if you want to argue with me, you want to debate with me, email me and call me. We'll 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 talk it out. But from what I've seen, is God is concerned about the state of your heart, because the flesh is weak. The flesh, um, your flesh, you you're gonna fall at some point. I don't care. Uh, who you are, or how great you think you are. At some point, you're gonna make a mistake, and and if that mistake is a is a small lie or a big lie, that mistake is you laying up with somebody you ain't supposed to be laid up with. If that mistake is you cursing, if that mistake is 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 any stretch of things, at some point you're gonna fall because we we fall to the flesh. But what we notice about the people that God holds in high regard is that when they make mistakes, they go lay on the altar. What I love about David, and, and I know we're not talking about David, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. But what I love about David is that when David sinned and he, he went and, and committed adultery uh, and, and he killed a, a woman's husband and took, took, took his wife, when he went and he realized he was wrong, he fell on the altar and he said, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. Now, we know that he didn't sin against only uh, only God. Now, he did sin against God. He had sinned against <laughs> the woman and the man, and he had sinned against God's people. Uh, but, but his heart was so desirous for God to be pleased with him that he said, I have just sinned against you and you alone, God. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And so the state of his heart was so concerned with being right with God that God said he had a heart after his own. Okay. Uh, we see that when other situations arise, that his heart was so in tune with shepherding the people, his heart was so in tune with people being right and being hungry and, 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 and being in communion with God on a constant, on a constant level, um, that his heart was said to be after God. It didn't mean that he was perfect. It didn't mean that he was flawless. You know, when we talked about being blameless, we know that, I, I as we, we I, I I preached for Christmas And I was talking about Zacharias And scripture says that Zacharias was blameless Now we see Zacharias sin In the same chapter That he was in, in the same chapter that he was called blameless uh, But he was seen as blameless Did not mean that he was sinless Okay Now this is not your past to go sin up a storm And go out there and act a crazy And say Reverend Kojo told me I could sin This is not what I'm saying what i'm saying is that the the standard of perfection is only lifted to god and to people who are not saved you know that's what i love about this salvation thing is that even though i'm flawed and i try to live right that i'll never make it and i'll never be considered perfect but even in that even even in all of all of these things that god is going to apply the perfection of christ and his shed blood to my account, and so even though I'm gonna come up short every time, even though my account is gonna be overdrawn every time, and it doesn't matter how hard I try, that He just comes back and He rectifies it every time, every time, every time I overdraw my account, God just puts more in more in the account. Uh, Christ just comes and He covers the cost. He comes and He makes sure that all things are all right. And so I, that's what that's that's the only place in the Bible. back to Sarah, only place in the Bible. Um, where it gives the account of woman, the woman, and I think it's a perk or the benefit or an, an, or an expounding upon of the fact that he promised to satisfy us with long life. Okay. Um, so verse two, <laughs> that was a long verse one, right? So Sarah died in, in Kirjath Arba, uh, that is Hebron, the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep, uh, for her. So that's the city, you know, they called the Kirjath Arba was called the City of Four, four Quarters, um, and it's basically just an early name for Hebron. Uh, you know, Hebron is kind of a popular thing among cult- church culture. I've seen so many Hebron, Mount Hebron, Hebron Baptist churches. It's a, it's just a popular place. Now, I think the fact that they they allowed for that God allowed us to know that Abraham mourned is is very interesting. And I think this is this is an awesome moment for us to take note that just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're dehumanized. Just because you have the blood rectifying your sins, just because you're allowed to just because you're covered by the blood does not mean that you lose your emotions. That does not mean that you don't question God. That does not mean that you don't get upset and that you don't get frustrated and that you are not understanding. You all know, I spent a lot of last semester upset with God. Upset with people, upset with Australia, upset with my job because I was spending an internship 14 hours away from the actual job. And so I wasn't getting to surf every morning like I wanted to. I wasn't living on the beach like I wanted to. I wasn't spending um, all types of things. And so I was I was good and frustrated. That didn't mean that I wasn't saved. That didn't mean that I don't get frustrated. It didn't mean that I was missing out on some things. You can be saved, but have moments. And whether your moment is a day or a year, we can be saved and have moments. We are very human. And so I think it's, it's really, really interesting here that the Bible makes sure that you know that he went to where his wife was and he mourned. His heart was grieved. He was hurting. And I think that's that's something we we forget. We think that, oh, with Christians, everything is supposed to be perfect. And that's not true. That's not true. He didn't promise us easy life. He didn't promise us complete happiness. Now he said that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Um, and, and some people struggle with that. They're like, okay, how is the joy of the Lord supposed to be my strength? And my mama's dead. And I thank God that's not my situation, but that's, that's some people, some people say that that the, how is the Lord, the joy of the Lord supposed to be my strength? And my wife just left me. How is the joy of the Lord supposed to be my strength? And it seems like the promises of God are not availing much in my life. How in the world is it supposed to be the case that the joy of the Lord is my strength and I just lost my job? We, you know, as Christians, we get us, we get in these places and let's be real for a moment. We come to these places and we're so we're frustrated. But this is this is the thing. And this is the gift of of such joy. Is that when you have the joy of the Lord, when you focus on the things that he has done, it always comes in and it changes some things around. I tell y'all, I was um, going through a season of depression. And uh, I don't think I knew it was depression, but I was good and sad. Um, Good and frustrated. Couldn't understand why my life was feeling like this. And I was just perpetually sad all the time. And there's this old song by Walter Hawkins that we still sing in church. And it's it's, it's an old ballad of the church. It's not a ballad, but it's an old song of the church. Um, and, and just about every, every black Christian knows the song. And the song simply says, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. It could have been me with no clothes, with no shoes, uh, me with, you know, and, and then he goes on to all these things that it could have been, but you saw fit to let none of these things, um, be, let none of these things be. And, and I would turn that song on, and and, and the song is about 20 minutes long if you, if you listen to it on YouTube. And if you download it on iTunes, it's still about 10 minutes. Um, And I would sit there and watch the video, or I sit there and listen to it, and it was amazing. Because I turned that song on, and it's like all of a sudden, <laughs> I would just get happy. I mean, I would be upset, I'd be sad, I'd be drooping, and I just couldn't understand why my life was happening like this, why was I feeling like this. I felt dejected. Um, and I think I was actually in the season of writing "Calls to the Pete Crave the Pit," and and it was amazing. I would turn that song on, and it would I would get a pep in my step. I started feeling better, start showing my my thirty twos, and things began to change on my behalf. Um, and I believe that it's because when we focus on the problem solver and not the problem, the situation begins to turn. Our outlook begins to turn. Um, and so I, you know, when we say that the joy of the Lord is our strength, literally when you begin to look at God and look to God, he begins to shift your outlook. He doesn't necessarily shift the situation, but he shifts your outlook. And by shifting your outlook, the situation no longer matters. And that's how you can look at some people and they go through some hell and you're like, man, they're so strong. (laughs) They're so strong, but they have made the joy of the Lord, their strength. Okay, but I think but but we're talking about how he did mourn and and mourning is not bad. Mourning is good. Scripture actually says that you will sow in tears but reap in joy. Ooh, we we're back at that word. You'll sow in tears and reap in joy. So crying and mourning and hurting is a part of the human process. Um and and let's not negate that. I know that people want to tell you you gotta be hard, you gotta be strong. But it is a part of the human process, and if you miss part of the process, you're missing part of your humanity. Okay, I know, and y'all know I'm not much of a crier, except for the last two months, and I don't understand why I've been crying so much. I've probably cried about four times in the last two months, and 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 before that, I couldn't remember the last time I cried. Um, but but those experiences, just like joy, just like happiness, just like excitement, just like. Heart falling in love are all part of the human experience. God programmed us that way. We're supposed to feel the whole gambit of human emotion. And this is just a great example of that. All right, we're going to move along, moving along. Okay, because I know I told y'all this is about business and I'm over here talking about emotions. We're going to get there. Uh, But chapter, verse three, verse three. So (laughs) then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, here i am a stranger and a foreigner among you please sell me a piece of land so i can give my wife a proper burial okay so first thing you know each culture has these these i guess these um traditions on how they go about burying somebody um i think i'm pretty sure that you know that i'm black and i live in alabama um and there is a difference between large and wide, you know, generally on how black people go through the burial process and how white people go through the burial process. And I'm just going to give you, and this is not me being racist, this is growing up uh, growing up in Alabama with white and black friends and watching the differences bego- between how we bury people and how they bury people. So typically um, in the black church, you have this really big funeral where the you meet at One at the home of the deceased, and this is like a week or two after they've died. Everybody's usually matching in black or something, and then you have this big old processional to a church, to the church, usually the church they attended and they didn't attend church. It's like one of the family members attended the church. This big old processional where the police lead the processional and they pull up, and then you not only then, so the cars process in, and then you line up outside the church, and the whole family walks in together, and people are. Are crying and some people like are over emotional, and then you file into the pews, and like there is this format that we go through. Then you process out the family does, and then they have another processional to the the uh, the, the uh, funeral home, and then they put you in the ground. There's a, a thing that us preachers say you do the dust to dust, the ashes, you know the ashes, to ashes, and you commit the body to the ground. And it's you know a funeral is a it's like a day long thing for us. Well, then I went to a white funeral, <laughs> and it's a little bit different. Usually, they they have their funeral at the funeral home. There's not really a processional, per se, um, and then when they have they do it and the family sits behind the curtain. Well, that was different to me because I'm used to everybody sitting on one side. You know, family sits on one side and the guests sit on on another side. Uh, but their family sits behind a curtain and, and they mourn that way. And so nobody sees them mourn. So people are there for the service. There's not really a processional because they do the funeral at the same place. And then um, once that's over, they commit you to the ground. And the f- people may not even be there when they commit you to the ground. And, and it's not it's not as big as theatrical as we do. Now, these are just the funerals that I've attended. Um, I've Of course, I've, I've attended a lot more black funerals than I've attended white funerals. But I've seen... They seem it's all to me seem to follow a similar format. But culturally we have our own norms. Just like we have our own norms here in Alabama and in the United States and, 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 and culturally as black people and as white people. Um and then and then it even breaks off as, as affluent people and as middle class people. Uh they, you'll you'll notice that their homegoing services are different. Uh you'll see if if, if the person was saved and they were a Christian, um, Versus the person wasn't saved Uh, If the person was saved in a Christian It's usually a celebration um, Or supposed to be And so the way that they program the music And they program the preaching is different Than whether they were not sure if they were saved And then it's kind of like a mourning thing And they're trying to pray somebody into heaven And you really don't work that way But we have cultural norms is my point On how we go about burying people Um, And just like we have cultural norms of our day They had cultural norms of their day And so a proper burial was important And so here we're getting into the business portion Of what was going on with uh, Abraham Abraham and so Abraham, as he said, look, I'm a stranger. I don't really live here. I'm a foreigner here. You know, because God hasn't really given him Canaan. He's, he's planted him in Canaan at this point. But Canaan, he's not the majority at this point. His family line has not taken over Canaan. They have not entered the promised land for the second time. He's just living in the borrowed land that God has promised will become his land. Um, and so he goes and he says, look, I'm living here, but my wife has died. And I've got some business I need to conduct. I've got to bury her properly um, because it's part of my culture. And I've got to honor my culture. I'm sure you can understand that. And so the Hittites replied to Abraham because Abraham is now affluent in this day. He's affluent, but he's a foreigner. And I think that's, that's proof of how good God is. You know, they knew who he was. They were familiar with his work. They were familiar with who he was. He still had a little bit of prestige in the land. And I think that's, you know, how the Bible says that your gifts will make room for you and sit you before great men. Uh, We see how God has already given him some, some prestige in the place that people already know who he is. He can come in this place and he's not making demands. I want you to notice that he doesn't come in and say, give me this land. That's not, that's not how he approaches the situation. He says, here I am. He humbles himself first. He says, here I am. I'm a stranger and a foreigner. So I realized because this is not my homeland, I'm entitled to nothing. I realized that because I was not born here, because I'm not of your bloodline that you may not understand the culture of my day. Okay. And I think we can apply, we can apply this all across the board in many different ways. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Alabama, and the way that we do things in Alabama is not like we do in new York do they like they do in New York. I was in New York <laughs> this summer, and there is a lot that is different from the way that they deal with things up in New York than the, how they deal with them in Alabama. Well, granted first, you know everybody drives everywhere in Birmingham. If you don't have a car in Birmingham or in Auburn, like you're not going anywhere um uh, I get frustrated with people who who text me talking about can I get a ride. And I'm like you better hop on the bus surely the bus is not efficient in Birmingham but like if you don't have a car like how what but but I digress um but <laughs> the way that they conduct things even the way that we speak in Alabama versus the way that they speak in New York versus the way they speak in LA versus the way that they speak in Seattle uh but and you know I, I'm a big fan of Oklahoma right now uh because I really enjoyed myself while I was there last year uh the way that they they even live is different um And we're all part of the same United States. And we speak the same language, but the dialect and the cultural norms are a little bit different. And so he has presented himself. He said, look, I'm different. I understand I have different cultural norms. But what I need from you all is, will you please sell me a piece of land? Okay. Um, Verse five, the Hittites replied to Abraham, listen, my Lord. You are an honored prince among us. You remember, I said that he had already had some prestige and how God has already elevated us to him in a plan in a place that's not even his. So sometimes, y'all, um, we go to places and it, it appears that we should not have prestige. We should not have power. We should not be revered. I um, mean, God just starts opening doors for us. He starts a- allowing things to happen. And and I see this happen in my life all the time. And I'm eternally grateful that in in I, I find favor in places that I should not find favor, that I find grace in places that I didn't know grace existed. And Abraham has found that. But he still, even though he has found favor and even though he has found grace, he still fi- finds it important to humble himself. See, sometimes the reason that some of us do not make it to places of prestige or of glory or we 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 top out because as soon as we begin to taste a little bit of change, we begin to get a big head. And as soon as we decide, as soon as we can see the hand of God moving, we begin to change our ways and we forget where he has brought us from and we forget who we are and whose we are. And we we want to be like. We want to act, We want people to treat us differently because we have this new view of ourselves and humility goes out the window because we're no longer poor, broke and it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. And God can't honor that. You know, God, God, God. What I've learned is either you humble yourself or God will humble you. But when God humbles you, it usually comes in the form of Humiliation. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of being humiliated. Um, I, I am. I'm a really big proponent of <laughs> it's better to be asked up to be than to be asked down. Um, and we see Abraham embodying that. And we'll continue to see it at, through verse seven. He says, listen, my Lord, you are an honored prince among among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one here will refuse to help you in this way. Now, I, just, I, think it's, I think it's wonderful that we notice that not only is he finding prestige here, but they're offering him the best, and he's not even a native of the land. So many times I've watched people treat folks differently because they're not, from the, they're not cut from the same cloth. They treat people differently because they don't look like them. They're not wrapped in the same skin. They not they don't have the same dialect when they speak. They're not from the same country. They don't say share the same religion. They don't worship the same God. We don't worship the same way. Um, and, and 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 I think that's even in Christian. You, <laughs> I treat you different because you're Methodist and I'm Baptist. Or I don't I don't fool with you because you're non denominational and we over here trying to be Kojic. Um And but what we see here is that even though they know he's different. They, they still are honest, honoring the prestige that God has planted on his life. And not only are they offering, honoring that, they're allowing him to place claim on the best. The best is still allowed to him when God places us in a place. And God grants us favor. When God says, I want you to go somewhere, there is nothing that is beyond your reach. There is nothing you cannot have, nothing you cannot go, nowhere you cannot go as long as it, it is ordained by God. When God has sent you somewhere, there is not a demon in hell that can get in the way of you receiving what God has for you. And I just think it's, it's, it's incredibly important that we hold on to this, that we notice that not only is he allowed to bear us, bury Sarah and to purchase land, I think it's incredibly important that we realize that God is giving him the best. He is, they're they're coming out and they're rolling out the carpet for this man. And he should not get that privilege. According to cultural norms, he should, they probably could have said, no, bro, you can't buy nothing. This is not, you don't even belong here. Look, this is, this is our inheritance. This is our family's land. Like this is, you don't even come from our bloodline. Get out of here. Why are you even living here? That's how they should have met him. But they didn't meet him that way. No, no. They said they they God allowed. And and that's what I love about him. He will soften the hearts where the hearts need to be softened, and he will harden hearts where hearts need to be hardened, and he does just that for Abraham because he promised him that he would. Okay. Now, but here notice this what he does in verse 7. He says, "Then Abraham bowed low before the Hittites and said, 'Since you are willing to help me in this way, Be so kind to ask Ephraim and the son of Zohar to let me buy his cave at Machpelah, down at the end of his field. I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses so that I will have a permanent burial place for my family. He bows low. Now, this is not a worship form of bowing. This is a form of, again, humility. He's saying he's he's he's. Humbling himself be humble sit down (laughs) and he bows himself before them because even though God is showing him favor he is not allowing his head to get elevated he's not allowing his head to swell and when we notice that we see how God continues to bless him. Okay, he's continuing to be humble. It doesn't matter how many doors God is opening. It doesn't matter how many things he's doing. He's still remaining humble. Humility is the name of the game. And as long as the humility is the name of the game, God can bless him. We get so stuck up in how much money I make. What kind of car I drive? How big my house is? How many bills I'm slinging? Oh, how many positions and titles I got? We, how you better put some respect on my name? And we get so caught up in who we are that we can't allow that we forget that, that we want people to address us a certain way, and how many accomplishments we have that we begin to build monuments to us. But when we forget this humility thing, we'll start seeing it, Quo, start cumbling, tumbling down. I see it all the time. We see it in the media. I've seen it in business. I've seen it in ministry. I've seen it in friendships. As soon as we start thinking too highly of ourselves, things start falling apart. But when we stay humble, God will take you to the mountaintops and he'll let you make your camp there. That's, you know, in in Call to the Peak, Craving the Pit, my first book. Uh, We talk about getting out of the pit and staying in the valley, being in the valley for a little bit and then climbing the mountain and making it to the mountain. And the thing about getting to the top of the mountain is that a lot of people, the higher you go, the harder it is, the easier it is to fall. The higher you go, the harder it is, you'll fall. And so the key to staying at the top of the mountain is always acknowledging who has gotten you there always acknowledging that you, you may be at the top, but there are other people there as well. And there are some people who have may have been there longer. And if you wish to stay at the top of the mountain, your humility has to stay, remain intact. And we see it. We see it right here with Abraham. All right, moving right along, moving right along. Okay. Verse and, and he said, since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind to ask Ephraim, son of Zohar, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah. Uh Down at the end of his field, I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses. So I will have a permanent burial place for my family. So the first thing is he makes his intentions very, very plain. This is what I want. I want the cave and I want to be able to bury my family there for, for many years to come. Uh, I, I want to be buried there. I'm going to bury my wife there. Um, my son should be able to be buried there and I just want the cave um, And so he he, he makes his, his intentions very plain He's not trying to be tricked, he's not trying to trick anybody He put, he outlines what, what it is that he wants And Ephraim was sitting there among the, offer, the others And he answered Abraham as the others listened Speaking publicly before the Hittite elders of the time No my lord, he said to Abraham Please listen to me I will give you the field and the cave here in the presence of my people. I will give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Okay. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of land and he replied to Ephraim and everyone listened. No, listen to me. I'll buy it from you. Let me pay the full, full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, my Lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver, but what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. Okay. So you know they begin to kind of get in this bartering deal, and Abraham just wants the uh, the cave, but. Ephraim wants to give him the field and the cave. And so there's a lot of controversy. (laughs) There's a lot of controversy as to that. And like, oh, he's trying to trick him. Oh, 400 pieces of silver, that's a lot of money. Why why is that? So we'll begin to look at the history of what was going on in Hebron at that time. Is in order to, you couldn't just sell the cave, you had to sell the entire parcel of land in order to clear yourself of the tax liability or the, the equivalent of the tax liability. And so Uh, The way that they went about it is that if you sold the entire parcel of land, you could clear yourself of having the the tax liability and having to be responsible for all of it. But if you just sold the cave, you were still responsible for the land around it and it confused things and it complicated things. And so we see them negotiating and they're talking about the terms of of their agreement. I think One thing that we fail to do as Christians, oh, you're a Christian, praise the Lord. And, you know, whatever you want to do is fine. And and we'll just work it out. And we find ourselves thinking that we're being Christian, we're being Christlike, but we're not outlining the terms. And one thing about being in business is that if you do not outline the terms, you're you're destined for a world of hurt, a world of frustration, um, a lot of headache, heartache and chaos. And so they outline the terms because in outlining the ter- outlining the terms, nobody comes up short. They make it really plain what's supposed to go on, what how it's supposed to go on, who's supposed to get what, how we're supposed to do it. Um, no, you can't just get that because the tax liability is going to be fuzzy. Um, and so sometimes we mess ourselves up trying to be too saved. Um, and and then I'm, and I, and, I, and I say that I'm trying to tread really lightly because and I don't want you to to go in there and not be gracious to people. Um, but do not, as Christians, sometimes we think that we've got to put down the business savvy to still be saved in a place of business, and that is the furthest from the truth. You need to pick up your business savvy. Yes, you should still be humble and you should still be gracious to people, but you need to be honest and, and cut and dry about what you want, how you want it, and what's going on. I think that's important in business. That's important in friendship. That's important in relationship. Outline the terms, Okay. Because when you go into the situation in the very beginning and you outline the terms, you, you're you you're already setting your expectations For the situation And when you set your expectations for the situation Nobody has to wonder Well how is this going to turn out And there are no surprises And you're not sitting there upset or frustrated uh, Sitting here like oh they ripped me off I told them to give them what I wanted But I really wanted $500 But I said you know whatever You, you just blessed me with an offering And then when they the offering is only 89 bucks, And you get to split that between five people You all heard and discussed it And you don't want to go back to that church you know, it, it happens. Or you sit together here and and, and 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 you're wondering, uh, will you want to cut the grass for the church and you're talking about, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just I'll just apply it to this. You know, we all just bless me with whatever, and then they don't give you anything and you're upset, you're like, I've just wasted my time. And we find ourselves in these situations where we get hard up mad with folks because we didn't outline the terms. Outline the terms. It's not, it's not, it's not anti-Christ. It's not, it's not anti-religion. It's not anti-Christianity to outline the terms, outline the terms, be upfront, be on. Honest. Honesty is a, one of the 10 commandments. Tell the truth, <laughs> tell the truth. I will this is what I expect out of the deal. And then they can counter and say, okay, but that's not going to work for me. Okay. That's important. That's not gonna work for me. So let's come to an agreement and let's put the terms out. Sometimes I think we find ourselves not wanting to argue with people because we think that if we argue with people, that that's not Christ like. And it's not a matter of I want—I don't want to argue. And so we want to avoid the conflict. But it only creates more conflict in the end when we can iron out a little bit of conflict in the beginning. OK, so outline the terms. That's important. That's really important. Um, and so he says, Verse 12, he says, Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephron and every, as everyone listened, no, listen to me, I'll buy it from you, and let me play the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Uh, Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. Your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephron's price and paid the amount he suggested, 400 pieces of silver. Wait, according to the market standard, the Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. Uh, So Abraham, okay, so Abraham went, he, he, he made sure that he, his, his agreement was witnessed and sure, you know, or just a certain, you know, that was a call to prudence. Again, outline your terms. That was a, not only did they outline the terms, but they followed through with the terms. They made sure that not only did we make the agreement, but other people were privy to the agreement. You know, and that, you know, sometimes a call to prudence is you putting it in writing. Sometimes a call to prudence. Is you dealing with things uh, strongly? Uh, Sometimes a call to prudence is that you or you go before you have witnesses or you have people and you ask them to come and look over the paperwork. You go to see your your attorney and says, "Is this fair?" Um, That you you follow due diligence. You have a contract in place. Just because we are saved and you're dealing with another Christian or you're dealing with another person, it is still important that we are do our due diligence and that we are prudent. I know that people seem to like hate prude. Uh, but I think being prudent is good, <laughs> and it may be just me. Uh, but I think that when we are prudent about our situations, and that when we when we look at what we have going on, I think it's it's imperative that we when we look at situations, um, and we're looking at what we have when we are sure about the, the terms, and when we are prudent and we do our due diligence, we can maintain relationships with folks. You know how people say don't do business with friends. The reason you don't want to do business with friends is because we don't go through these steps with our friends. We feel like we're going to offend our friends. But if you go into the situation with your friends and you go into the thing humble, you outline your terms, you're prudent and you follow your due diligence. And then you make sure that your stuff is witnessed and that you go through and you, you uphold your part of the deal and they uphold their part of the deal and you treat it like a regular business transaction. It does no harm to the friendship. The thing about when we do stuff with friends is that you, you find yourself in, in a sticky situation because they expect you to do stuff for free or they expect you to do it on, an, on a different level. You know, I think it's absolutely nuts when my family calls me and says, hey, I need you to come do this. I, I need you to build me a website. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I sent an invoice, so I sent an estimate, and they're like $1,500. I'm like, hey, that's that's a discount. <laughs> How much time I spent on that? Oh, I need to build me an app, you good friend of mine, and I go send them an, the estimate. And they're like, what the world? I thought we were family. I said, we are family. But I got to eat. <laughs> I got to pay for my house. I got to make sure that I can put gas in my car. I got to make sure that I have the tools to write this next book. And so when 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 you ask me to do something, I think it's important that a we outline our terms first. Um, that we we make sure that we are honest and 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 all of that. Oh, we'll just talk about that later. That is dangerous. Oh, it's dangerous. You put your terms up front before you touch anything, and I think that's imperative. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We're almost done with this chapter. Um. Verse 17, so Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron at Machphala near Mammer. This included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees. Uh, it was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, there in Canaan in the cave of Machphala near Mamor, also called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittite to, the, to Abraham. Uh, for use as a permanent burial place. Okay, so <laughs> um, there's there's an old proverb that that I really like. It says, "Is develop your business first before building your house. Prefer prepare thy work without, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house." So never thought about this, never thought about this ever, ever. Like this, this proverb changed my life. Uh, so the living Bible says it this way develop your business before, uh, first before building your house. The King James version says, prepare thy work, uh, without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thy house. So basically what that, what that proverb means is, make sure that you have a way to pay for the house before you build the house. Make sure that you have a way to pay for the car before you buy the car. Make sure that you have a way to provide for the wife before you take the wife. Make sure that you have a way to do, you know, and, 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 and so sometimes as Christians, we're really quick to be like, okay, well, God is just going to have to provide. And and God will provide. I believe that He puts He puts the uh, the vision in your heart. He's always going to provide provision, but often as He's getting ready to provide the provision, He's going to de- help you develop a plan. He's going to direct your path. Um, establish your business before you build your house. So many times we go in this thing and we start buying toys and outfitting it and getting luxuries, and go- and we have not even gotten the job. You know. I have a friend who quit his job before he had another job because he was frustrated with the way that folks acted on the job. Now the job was bad and, and and I don't I don't know how long I would have stayed on the job myself. But establish your business before building your house. Before you before you walk off a job, before you walk on walk into a house, make sure that you have a way to d- deal with it. So God gives us explicit, um, explicit instructions on how to thrive in Christ and in life. See, some people get hyper, hyper spiritual that you you forget that the Bible is also practical. The Bible is practical and it's spiritual. And it gives us commands on how to live both ways and to intermingle the, the two. If you get too practical and you abandon the spiritual, you're not doing it right. But if you get too spiritual and you abandon the practical, you're not doing it right. And so... Often people who are hyper-spiritual don't know how to do business. People who are hyper-practical forget to lean on Christ in situations where we we, we don't have any power. Uh, but when we can combine the two, we can take these lessons and we can begin to thrive in ways that we had not thrived uh, at all. And then, and lastly, I, I think that this wonderful there's this wonderful thing, um, just like in business, and just like when you're trying to get a job, you're trying to close a deal, uh, the Bible, the Word, your spiritual walk, and all of this stuff—it's not who you know. It's not—it's not who—it's not who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And so the Christian man still needs the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what you know. It's who you know. You know Christ. Christ is going to uh, enable you to be prudent and to thrive. Um, if you listen to Life School you know, that I, I, um, this is the year of immediate obedience for me. And so God is requiring of me some things that I've never really done before. You know, I'm almost, I'm almost always obedient for the most part. Uh, but a lot of times I sit here and I struggle with this thing called logic. I'm like, Hmm, I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) I don't know if I want to go there. Um, and so I'm just having to step out and do what he tells me to do. Well, thus far, even though the year hadn't been here long, thus far, I've been in a place where, um, I find it, I find myself things, the situations that normally would not have worked out if I would have delayed are working because I'm, I'm, I'm depending on him immediately. Say, go apologize to somebody. Went and apologized and they received it. I'm like, what? <laughs> had to cut somebody out of my life. And then I had to tell him that I was cutting them out of my life. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. And they received it. I'm like, whoa. And so Again, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And so when he says move and he gives you these instructions and he tells you how to do things, just follow his template and he'll show you what to do. I think I think this is really important to me. Um, when we start looking at this particular passage of scripture in this chapter, this is the only land that Abraham buys in his entire life. You know, the place that he buys is is a tep- a testimony that his seed would return to the land. Y'all, let's think about this. He spends 400 shekels, which seems to be much more, uh, much more than what the land is worth. People, a lot of, there are a lot of scholars who think that the Hittites ripped him off. They think Ephraim ripped him off. He said this land couldn't have been worth that much money. Uh, but he spends 400 shekels on what seems to be worth way more than what, what he gets in, in uh, gets back. Now, I want you to notice that silver is, when we look at the uh, tabernacle and, and we begin to study it, and we'll get to that later, Four hundred shekels, four hundred years is is how long it takes from his seed to return to this very land, this very spot. And silver is redemption, is 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 classified as redemption. So silver is redemption money. Usually, if you need to find redemption, you pay in silver. He gives him four hundred uh, shekels of silver. It takes four hundred years, and they do they return with silver. Uh, he they, he returns. He pays in silver. Then Sarah is buried there. But not only is Sarah buried there, Abraham, Isaac, and Leah, uh, is, is buried there. Now I think it's, 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 it's absolutely amazing. It, you know, it just confirms the promise. This man, Abraham is in a land that is not really his land yet. But God has promised it to him. So when he goes to go buy some land that he's supposed to get rejected for buying, that they're not supposed to allow him to buy because he's a foreigner in the land. And typically in that day, you couldn't buy land in in somewhere that you were not a citizen. They sell him exactly what he needs so that he can make his his permanent mark. It is a seed, literally burying somebody in the ground, placing a seed of their literal bodies so that the family will return. And when they return, it will become their land. Y'all, God is good. He's good. It's a, uh, you That's why I say Genesis is not only a book of, pro- of record, but it's a book of prophecy. Um, so, but in, as they, as they, as they see that they are, um, to return the, the, you know he sees the promise but you know how much of the promises he really believe you know this God character seems to be de- de- delivering for me thus far he seems to be allowing things to work out for me thus far so I'm gonna guess I'm gonna trust him um and he said go here and buy some land I really ain't supposed to buy land but I'm gonna ask anyway because God said so wow they sold me the land and they sold me a lot of it and so now I'm gonna bury my seat here And 400 years later, they're going to come back. The exact amount of money that I spent in years, they're going to come back. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Now, another thing we can notice is Sarah, Abraham is after the cave, not the field. So they sell him the field that the cave is in. Now, the Hittites, uh, like I said, are regarded as shysters according to a lot of folks, but in recent discoveries, uh, they found that selling the whole parcel may have relieved the owner of the duties to the king, a- aka the taxes. Um, that way it was unveiled like a tax write-off, kind of like we buy a car at the end of the year so we don't have to pay as many taxes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly um, excited about the things that he did in Genesis 23. I think it gives us an awesome template Um of just how to conduct ourselves in business and, 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 and with people. And if we'll take heed to it, I believe that the Bible is truly a template of how we can live. I just think you got to study it right. Um, for too too long that we have not studied this word. And I think it's the best gift that we have on this earth. Um, it can help us thrive. People have been writing books for to teach you how to thrive in all these different areas. But I'm convinced that this one book will teach you how to do all these things that all these people other people are trying to attract. Crack the code on. You've just got to become a prudent student of the word. All right, y'all. Until next time, this has been Bible school. Now, make sure that you are checking out reverendcojo.com I'm, I'm new content is being uploaded daily. So much stuff. So much stuff. I'm get it. Get your eyes peeled. There are new things coming in 2018 that I'm so excited about. Been working on some new projects, some huge head swimming projects, and I'm just grateful and excited about what God is going to do and allow, um, allow allow me to do this year. I want to hear about your your, your resolutions. Let's talk them out. Um, we're going to talk about them on Life School. So shoot me an email, shoot me in a, a, a comment, and we're going to talk about that stuff. Y'all be blessed. Uh, until next time, I'm Reverend Kojo, and this has been Bible School.